But if you pray hard enough and it does something, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's prayer. It's not magic. Welcome, Realm Walkers. My name is Carlin. I'm going to be your host tonight. I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Greg. Yo, hello. And Bryce. How's it going? Guys, how are you doing today? Uh, doing, existing. Just got a bunch of schoolwork done, so, like, that's life. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Bryce, how's life been for you? Uh, um, it's It's been all right. I was uh, putting together some space marines earlier so yeah because on top of being a filthy stormcast player he's a sweaty space marine player too he's a sigmarine (laughs) now of course course i also play space marines so i'm not excluding myself from that we're both (laughs) trash uh yeah we're not here to talk about 40k yeah yeah we'll uh we'll move past that hey look (laughs) By the way, chalk that up. Another episode for Greg Swore in the first minute bingo. Oh, geez. Why uh, you gotta do this? It's fine. He just cut it. <laughs> well, I just yeah, cut the I've one I've been word. able to surgically cut out your swearing. So, you know. Yeah. And for anyone listening, if you didn't hear any swearing, we did our job successfully. If, if you, you did, hear swearing, cool. then unfortunately, we weren't able to fix the tumor that is Greg. Yeah. Ooh. No, that's actually an accurate description of what I am. <laughs> if only Jesus. I could be a tumor. Big, like, lumpy, like, just existing. Hey, we, uh, we can get past this now. All right. <laughs> well, today, uh, for everyone who's listening to us for our not our banter and actually for our content, we are going to be covering the Blades of Corn. I believe that's what the Battle Tome is called. Uh, well, Battle Tome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we kind of want to tie it into the books that we're covering into Realm Gate Wars. So we're covering uh, the first two books, which is basically Stormcast versus Corn. Uh, so figure we cover Corn. Yep. And by the time mm-hmm. we're done the Realm Gate Wars, who knows? Maybe Stormcast will have 10 more battle tomes and then we can cover one of them. What are you talking about? Their battle tomes almost three years old at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're not space marines. <laughs> they're like, they get their one and they're like, all right, you're the poster boys for the game we don't care about. Oof. <laughs> they they care mean, about Age of Sigmar. That's true. They just released that whole uh, Slanesh line. They just don't push it as hard and it makes me sad because it's <laughs> genuinely fun. It's 40k makes them a little bit more money, but Sigmar is not all that far behind it anymore. So it, it needs the time to establish itself, which mm-hmm. it's done beautifully. Like, I mm-hmm. think off kind of some stuff I was reading, AOS is like 35 to 40 percent of their overall sales when it comes to the big kind of overall titles, and then uh, 40k is the rest of that. Yeah. Now, that's including Underworlds and all that under the AOS line, but still, um, which is impressive nonetheless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Anyways, yeah, we're talking about corn, and I kind of want to open up with this blurb I saw that kind of really put it way how corn works uh, into perspective. So, mighty embodiments of the darkest mortal emotions and compulsions. Chaos gods reside out of reality. 
They bring, they, bring, they are internal they are beings, beings of near-limited near power, power, abominations who seek to corrupt all they all survey. They survey. Constantly warring with each other, these deities vie for mastery over the mortal realms. In these conflicts, there is one who often stands ascendant, and that is Korn. Korn is the Lord of Rage, the taker of skulls. He is wrath incarnate, master of slaughter, and the embodiment of never-ending compulsion to destroy. I mean, that sounds really cool, but like, hasn't Zeech literally won? Like... He's he literally won the game before. I feel like Corn doesn't actually stand at the top. Zinch thinks he wins because he's always altering a plan, and if he things go horribly wrong, it's part of his plan because he has every contingency thought out. With that said, it probably is not great for the Corn thing if we immediately go, "Hey, didn't Corn get his chump ass beat?" <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real though, we all love we all love Skull Daddy. Blood for the blood god, skull for the skull thrones. All right. You're handling the opening, Carlin, then I am handling demons. Then we're passing off to Bryce with the mortals. And that's oh, when yeah. we can all take a nap. Yeah, all right. Hey, Good. there's some cool mortals. <laughs> we're kidding. <laughs> all right, so, yeah, as mentioned, Corn is basically the god of all things anger, blood, skulls, and horrible murder and cannibalism. <laughs> Maybe eating time. (laughs) I knew that was going to be mentioned. Yeah, just get your out your bowl of baby pops, and we're good to go. (laughs) Jesus, big, big, large fountain pop of blood, uh, blood cola. Uh, Corn is depicted in many ways. Uh, Sometimes he's depicted as a towering warrior, clad in like plated brass armor. At other times, he's depicted as like this snarling fang warhound. Which kind of makes sense, because if you kind of look at his poster boy, Corcus Call, you know, big, powerful warrior, or that bloodthirsty, uh, weird dog thing with frills. Um, and yeah, the big thing about Corn and the reason why he's so powerful is that, consciously or not, all warriors pay ties to Corn when blood is spilt. Every time a life is taken in anger, Corn grows in power. And this is why he's so ridiculously powerful. When Stormcasts are killing Corn guys because they're trying, you know, to take the Realm Gate, guess what? Corn cares not where the blood flows, as long as it flows. Bryce, how does it make you feel knowing that your Stormcasts are secretly making Corn more powerful? See, like, here's the thing. Yes, Stormcasts do make Corn more powerful by beating the shit out of his followers. But the thing is, is they're beating the shit out of his followers. So if they're constantly beating the shit out of them and they're constantly winning battles against these dudes, then, you know, it's a net positive for the Stormcast because they're offsetting the amount of power that they're giving to them. But Korn himself is maybe growing in power, therefore he can spread his influence elsewhere. Well, I mean, yes, but he, while he doesn't, he his legions the of city demons... city out of the sky. That's true. Yeah, he punched out of the sky, but like... At least Sigmar actually went and fought in the realms. But also, like, remember that Korn himself might not be getting off the realm, but every time he gets stronger, he gets more demons because those are just extensions of him. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> just remember, every time you play a game of Age of Sigmar, you're giving a mad thumbs up to Korn. He gets a little piece of that. <laughs> and when the sweaty neckbeard rages because he lost, 
That's corn right there. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, there's another little blurb I want to read here, which kind of puts uh, a little aspect of what corn's desires are. It is corn's desire, desire to drown the drown eight, the eight realms, realms in a tide of slaughter. Relentlessly, Relentlessly, the blood god blood sends god forth sends his forth demon legions and mortal hordes to conquer and kill, not resting not rest, until there's until nothing there's left but wooling gore and shattered bone. The skull tributes, the skull tributes are, stacked are stacked high, high before, before the armies, the armies march, march off to find new quarry. Like, literally, we cannot emphasize this enough. He likes to kill things. He likes the things to be <laughs> slaughtered in miserable, horrible ways. There's no such thing as overkill of corn. Well, I think something might be, might be important to note is to say he likes to kill things might be a kind of a misstatement. He is the act of killing things. The act You're of not slaughter wrong. and murder, that is just corn man- made manifest. You're not wrong. Yeah, and... Yeah, it's crazy, and especially when we take a look at his realm. So, like the chaos, they have essentially their own realm, which is divided up between each of their own territories, which essentially is always growing and shrinking depending on the power of the specific gods at that time. But yeah, um, it's actually referred to as the Great Game. And there's actually another player, but I'm going to quickly look over here. The Dark the Gods, dark of, gods chaos. of Chaos. Each have their own particular sphere of influence, their own demonic and mortal servants, and their own territories. The realm of chaos is not merely the home of the dark gods. It is also their internal battlefield, where they are rivals in an endless battle for supremacy, known as the Great Game. While fighting for power, bonds are formed and unbroken as Korn, Nurgle, Zeech vie for domination of not only the realm of chaos, but also the mortal realms. Even the Patheon's newcomer, the Great Horn Rat, attempts to sneak into the feud. One of the Dark Gods is missing, and many, including Korn, do not know the fate of Slanesh, the Dark Prince. I mean, this battle tome was written a while ago. He's back. He's vibing. Spoilers for anyone who's not paying attention <laughs> to current lore. <laughs> But yeah, so that kind of gives you an idea. Like the realms themselves are basically in a tug of war all the time, whether it's the mortal realms or the chaos realms. They're always battling it out for absolute control. If to them it's a game, like think Game of Thrones, except no, <laughs> instead of a whole bunch of different uh, kingdoms, it's four gods going at it. But yeah, Korn's domain in the realm of chaos is one built on violence. The landscape is blood soaked, literally with are littered with bones. There is battles happening everywhere. Those who die bravely are resurrected to keep fighting. Those who are seen as weak disappear forever. Surrounding the border of the realm are volcanoes. There are borders attached to many of these uh, to forge new demon blades and armor for those who are seen as worthy. So people like Orgus Call or any of the other great heroes to uh, Korn, they get specialized armor forged in these volcanoes. Um, in this realm, there's the Brass Citadel. This is Korn's fortress. This is so huge that it can be seen all through Korn's realm. Hung from the walls of the Citadel are champions who fell in Korn's fighting pits. And I feel sorry for these guys because they are skinned and hung with their blood pouring initially and then continually dripping into uh, Korn's blood moats, which are <laughs> boiling constantly. 
think like boiling hot magma almost, except it's all blood and gore and various other things. Inside the walls of Korn's uh, fortress are the fields of damnation. This is where bloodthirsters contest each other uh, to uh, set the demon hierarchy. Basically, see who's on top and see who uh, rules what in the demon hierarchy of everything under Korn. And then inside the great chamber is a mountain of skulls that is constantly growing as Korn's followers pay tithes to him. On top of this mountain of skulls is Korn's throne. So, you know, his throne is constantly rising up all the time as he gets more and more skulls. I, I Does he lift up his chair so they can toss his skulls on top or does he they find a way to shove the skulls underneath so it keeps on going up? I assume he just has a bunch of people and every so often he's like, lift my chair higher, put the skulls under. <laughs> you peasant, lift my chair. Show me your might. <laughs> lift my recliner for me. Ah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it kind of gives you an idea of like corn and his realm. And then I kind of really want to play the game of what does corn hate? So we're going to go first. So contestant number one, Greg, what does corn hate? <laughs> he hates a lot of things. One could say he hates almost everything that isn't fighting. He specifically hates um, anybody who shows cowardice in combat, weakness, and, of course, good old-fashioned magic. He does not like magic. Hmm, good answer. Bryce, what do you have to say? What does Gorn hate? I mean, I feel like Greg kind of stole my answer with, you know, giving two to one, one question. I don't think that's how this game works, Greg. That's fine. I stole the points. You lose. No. That is the Chaos God way. Greg wins. Bryce gets vanished into the Aether. Greg, you get to <laughs> fight again. Yes. Corn's proud. My reward is skulls. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. But yeah, Corn basically hates everything. Um, he is the god of hatred in many, many ways. So he hates the weak. We've already seen that where the weakest disappear. He uh, hates. Well, let's get back to the chaos gods for a second. Because you think Corn just hates all his enemies. It's not exactly true. So, Korn finds the Great Horned Rat to be honorless and weak. In the end, not worthy of his time. Sure, he hates him, but not something he's going to go blood-raging about. He finds Nurgle to be foolishly sentimental. Once again, not really something to worry about. Zinch. Zinch he has an issue with, but he finds Zinch's reliance on sorcery basically nothing more than cowardice, which he hates, but sure. But it is the Dark Prince, the missing Dark Prince, Hill current storyline is the thing that makes corn the angriest. It draw, draws his angriest ire, everything. Slash represents all that corn despises. Basically, the decadence is at odds with uh, the blood gods, uh, martial pride, the way how Slash saw the fetishes and such, uh, clashes with corn's uh, single minded desire for indiscriminate slaughter. And Slanesh basically found Korn dull. He... Slanesh was basically the youngest child who liked to poke at the oldest brother and go, hey, is this annoying you? Is this annoying you? Because he'd do everything he could to anger the blood god. <laughs> and basically, now for uh, the storyline at this point in time when Balaton was written, with Slanesh being gone, Korn was basically 
ruling over everything as much as he can, basically becoming one of the more powerful of the uh, Chaos God Pantheon. But all he wanted to do was find Slanesh and destroy Slanesh because Slanesh pissed him off. It's the principle of the thing, truly. <laughs> but let's continue to things that Korn hates. Because you are right. Magic is something else that he hates. Korn hates all things magic. He despises it. He thinks magic is cowardice because fights should be fought with brute muscle, not just wisping your hands around. <laughs> and because of that, like he hates, well, Zinch, of course, but then he also hates Sylvanath because uh, Sylvanath had them very magical plates. He hates Seraphon because Seraphon uh, are living magic unless they coalesce. But generally speaking, they're living magic, therefore they don't bleed, and when they die, they just get drawn back into Slan's power. Um, if they're coalesced, sure, they draw blood, but generally speaking, those are smaller tribes and everything, and it doesn't get to fight them too, too often. But, <laughs> continuing the magic theme, there is a, a certain person who really pisses him off, our homeboy, Nagash. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that, Nagash pissing somebody off. <laughs> really, yeah. Nagash loves to be everyone's friend. You never <laughs> piss anyone off. I feel like but... Nagash should start a list of people he hasn't pissed off. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. it's just himself. <laughs> well, Nagash is all about magic, which Korn views as absolute cowardice, so he hates him. But what makes him angry even more is that Nagash and his followers don't bleed. They, like when they kill them, they're being held together by magic, meaning ender skeletons or whatever. They don't bleed. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> when he sends his followers and everything, the blood legions to fight Nagash, they they're killing the things, but they don't rank corn power when they die because they don't bleed really. And in the end, a lot of them probably disappear into ash or whatever, or they get back up or anything. So really even taking their skulls doesn't really matter much. All it's done is make Korn angrier and angrier. Yeah, someone should do something about Nagash. Yeah. Yeah. And then continuing all the things that Nagash did, we got to the Necroquake. When Nagash unleashed his grand schemes and things that we're going to cover a little in a later time, grand schemes that went wrong because of uh, Greg's favorite homeboys. Mm -hmm. yeah. They saved the universe. That's probably saving are the good guys. <laughs> But yeah, that unleashed living magic. And as we know, Korn hates magic. So when he saw these living endless spells roaming around, he just got angry. Because in the end, they if they were destroyed and such, they dissipate. They don't bleed. They're not living. They don't have skulls. Like in the grand scheme of things, it just makes him angry. So uh, a lot of Korn's followers, uh, he, the priests and such, he blessed them in ways to help um, take out magic users more after Necroquake because he wanted to stop the endless spells from rising up because just it made him so angry and so on and more or less the followers would start uh, praying and using that to uh, mitigate magic users they would also uh, use it as a way to cut out wild endless spells that they found roaming around and then they found something else so a little shake up when they start praying they could start invoking judgments of corn and these judgments became in a sense quote unquote endless spells except no they're prayer based not magic based these were 
uh, prayers come forth uh, from blood, from invoking uh, corn's magical, or not magical, uh, bloody energies. <laughs> and <laughs> they would start roaming around and serving the blood god's purposes. They would go about destroying endless spells. They would go about destroying magic users' ability to cast. And they would just enrage those around it, cause people to start inflicting violence on each other. And Heck, if it's just Corrin's followers that start fighting each other, Corrin cares not where the blood flows. I imagine, like, very strongly, like, Corrin, like, a Corrin army and, like, a Zinch army are fighting, and the endless spells come out, and Zinch just kind of looks at Corrin like, so what are those? And he just goes, uh, prayer and sweats. Like, (laughs) (laughs) totally not magic, dude. It's not magic. It says endless, not magic. Don't look at the co- look, don't look at the codex. It's a lie. Chicken mouth. <laughs> Endless prayers. <laughs> but yeah, that kind of gives you an idea of corn. Like he is rage manifested. He is everything violence. His uh, bloodthirst is never satiated. He just wants more and more and more violence. And it never ends. And I, there are some people who just love the idea of everything corn because he's just, I won't say mindless, but very ribbon and in a lot of ways simple. He he wants blood to flow and he wants skull for a skull throw. If you do those things, he's happy. Ish. Well, I think hmm. something to remember, and it's brought up actually quite a bit in the 100%. later sections of Corn is is not mindless. He's incredibly intelligent in what he wants to do. He has a simple goal, which is to have blood flow but he is an absolute military genius and and to think that he is uh stupid or ignorant uh is the fastest way to get yourself killed on a battlefield with corn see can can i can i have a rebuttal like corn is my favorite chaos god but like if he was truly a tactical genius he would just like do his sky punch thing to everything yeah, but if he does that, then there's very little blood flow. Like, it's not much of I a mean, fight if he just... Well, it's not much of a fight if he just stomps everything. Have you ever stomped on, like, a Capri Sun packet? Yeah, but but it's it's about the <laughs> fight, Bryce. It's not about the outcome all the time. It's I about know. the fight. Warren does have a sense of honor, as much as it gets skewed sometimes, but he does have a semblance of honor. If there's a battle going on, he wants a proper battle. Yeah, I guess that's true. I still think you should sky punch more stuff, though. I mean, I don't don't disagree with you. I thought the sky punch was really cool, and I just <laughs> want to see more of that. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Greg, since you're chatting, anyways, how about we turn to you? Tell us about his demons. All right, so I will be handling demons. Demons. Let me read you. Uh, I've got quite a few uh, sections from the book that I'm going to be reading verbatim here. There is just some fantastic descriptions of the absolute horror that is the hordes of corn. So I'll start off with this little one. The winds blow hot, hot. brazen Brazen horns blare, blare, and the coppery coppery smell of blood blood fills the air. air. Reality Reality itself itself screams as a hole is torn torn in in its fabric. fabric. Blood pouring from its ragged edges. Out from this nightmarish portal march the blood legions. Red skin horrors that bound towards the foe, a murderous grin in their merciless eyes. They move in the shadows of fell banners that ripple with red hot hate. Their sole purpose for existing is to slaughter. So obviously, Korn's demons, not a person you'd want to be in a fight with. 
And though arguably probably something you might want to fight with over some of the other things, uh, <laughs> some of the other armies. Uh, so I want to get a few notes out of the way here. So first, I'm going to be saying blood a lot and skull a lot, and I might mess up specifically a title. If I do so, I apologize. Uh, it's very easy to, to tongue slip a blood letter when you're saying bloodthirster. Blood, 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 blood. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to also be omitting a little bit of some details here. I will be discussing the structure of Le of Korn's legions later. However, the book goes in details of the structure of Korn's army on both the micro and the macro scale. However, it's pretty much all structured the same way in which it is like eight companies of eight things or broken up into intervals of eight. And it was a little bit uh, redundant and not particularly interesting. So I will just be omitting some of that. Um, all mm -hmm. of it's in the codex if you want to look at the exact structure of Korn's army. Um, battle however, tome. Uh, the battle Ew, tome, yeah. codex. Ugh. Ew, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, it actually might be in the 40k codex. I don't know. I don't think so. It probably so. is. <laughs> uh, it might be. It, it, it's it's uh, Chaos Undivided, mm -hmm. so this one goes more in depth. Mm -hmm. All right, so the first thing I want to get out of the way is Korn's sacred number is eight. It is very important to understanding basically all of how Korn's armies are formed. There is no specific record as to why Korn's number is eight, but the book gives two very specific um, examples and theories as to what it might be. The first is that at the birth of Korn, eight mighty gods were slain by him at his birth. And the very foundation of the skull throne are these eight deities' skulls. The other one is that it will take eight great ages of war to sate the gods' bloodlust. Now, considering all that Korn is, I find the second to be very unlikely. So if you want my personal opinion, it's probably the first. Um, so moving into... <laughs> A little bit of the structure of how Korn's army is functioned. Each demon in uh, Korn's army, the single most important thing to them is strength. They are always battling for supremacy, sometimes among themselves, but a lot of the time they do so by outperforming each other on the battlefield of combat. Those who do particularly well can rise above their station if they've proven to Korn that they are a demon worth um, their salt, but those who draw Korn's ire through cowardice, through wielding magic, will potentially have their power taken away, or if they have angered the god enough, he will literally snap them and their essence will come apart. Hmm. At the top of demons, uh, at the top of uh, the, uh, the, the pecking order in Korn's army are the Bloodthirster. These are his greater demons, and they are described as literally demigods of war. At the very bottom, we have the blood letters. These are the little, the, the basic uh, troop. Battle lines, essentially. The battle lines, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole legion of things that sit between them that they use, and I will go into details below that. So the legion structure is at full strength. The bl uh, Each blood legion is formed of eight cohorts, and each cohort is composed of eight packs of demons led by Harold, Harold or a mighty bloodthirster or even, oh, sorry, a, a mighty bloodthirster of the eighth or higher rank. There are eight ranks of bloodthirsters, which we'll be going over later as well. Um, on campaign, the demons will never, will potentially decrease if they 
take a lot of casualties. However, they will sometimes gain more, either through uh, slaughtering other legions and just allowing them in, or gathering slaves. So that number is in flux a little bit. For the most part, however, a blood legion is formed of eight cohorts and eight packs of demons per cohort. So it's important to note at this point that the... Legion and the Cohort, as we were saying earlier, are not composed of simply blind, raging demons. This structure is very important because it is a very militaristic structure. These cohorts that are formed of demons each have a very specific purpose and have a very specific set of demons within them. Uh, going over a few, we have what is known as a murder shot cohort, which is designed to break enemy formations. The Flesh Hound Ravager cohorts are designed to run down foes who flee in battle. Skull Seeker cohorts are designed to hunt down tributes for corn. Blood Hunt cohorts are made up of bloodthirsters and flesh towns, and they are sent to track down specific quarries. Gore Thunder cohorts are formed of formations of corn's blood cannons. Blood host cohorts center around a bloodthirster and usually contain multiple greater demons. This is basically the hammer blow. Like when we need to get into a place, you just send all of the biggest, scariest you guys you have and the blood horse bursts down the door and kills everyone. Hmm. And then we have the blood, thirst, uh, the blood thunder stampede cohort, which is composed of blood crushers. And I want to give also one specific legion uh, that is that you will likely know from the tabletop, which is known as the charnel host. The Charnel Host is the most common legion of Korn's armies. It is a primary body of the Red Tide and is most commonly the vanguard of uh, Korn's invasions. Mm -hmm. I believe this was one of the co this legion was specifically the legion that was at the Battle of the Burning Skies. So it's pretty much like when Korn needs to just send somebody in and he's just like, I got to get the most amount of bodies, he sends in the Charnel Host. A few other ones that are lead uh, listed are. Uh, the Legion of the Reapers of Vengeance. This is a particularly notorious legion among mortals. It is led by the bloodthirster Kakarn. Uh, it rose during the largest of Korn's expansions into the Skull Land, and it is known that Kakarn reaped terrible vengeance upon a keep of secrets, and he bested several of the Blood God's favorites, which is why he's so well known when, during this time. The Reapers of Vengeance uh, are sent to go after those who draw the Blood God's ire. So if you piss Corn off, you're probably going to be getting a knock at the door from the Reapers of Vengeance. Mm. Amongst other things, because, wow, I'm going to say it right now. Corn has a lot of people that he sends if you piss him off. This is just <laughs> one. Specifically, it mentioned that Corn doesn't care if you beat him in a fair battle. You beat him in a fair <laughs> battle, he's going to be mad that he lost, but that's fine. If you win with trickery and magic, he does not forget that. He will remember that, and then he sends the Reapers of Vengeance after you. Oh, and I have a note. I made a small mistake. The Charnel Host wasn't at the Battle of the Burning Skies. It was the Reapers of Vengeance. They okay. might have both been there, but it was specifically the Reapers of Vengeance that were mentioned. Fucker! Oh, yeah. The last Legion uh, mentioned is the Bloodhorde Legion. This specifically came into the uh, in, into infamy in Gur, uh, where they just decided, we're going to go fight the Orcs, the, uh, the, the Uruk, I guess, in Age of Sigmar. Uh, and they slaughtered 12 Uruk tribes that were all participating in a wog. And then they just decided, wow, Gur's awesome. Look at the giant monsters here to fight and kill. So the Blood, Le uh, the Blood Horde Legion has been just remaining in Gur, hunting after the biggest monsters they can to provide the biggest skulls to Korn. And it specifically mentions that they're some of Korn's favorites. So if the Blood Horde Legion sends something to Korn, 
right on the refrigerator. Magnet up there, that one he's proud of. And so I want to go a little bit more into the de- demons in detail now. Uh, going down the list, the first we have Bloodthirsters. Bloodthirsters are the mighty warriors of Korn's demon legions. They are his generals and his personal guard. Each one a primal manifestation of war that exists only to maim, slaughter, and destroy. To see one enter battle is to witness sheer, unfettered ruination. It does then go into the tale of a very specific uh, bloodthirster, Scarbrand the Exiled. Yeah. Scarbrand was one of Korn's most favorite bloodthirsters. He was, in fact, the most favorite at one point. He specifically went, I'm going to go attack Sulemesh's palace. And it is said that he basically tore down the doors and drowned everything in a tide of blood. Um, in a two-on-one, he was able to take down two other bloodthirsters. And he was basically called the right hand of ruin. Corn was just... Like, every day Corn saw Scarbrand, he was like, ah, you know, today's going to be a little better. Um, however, the problem was Scarbrand became uh, prideful. And Corn doesn't like prideful. But, of course... He was fine with it so long as Scarbrand was killing people for him. And Zeech decided, you know, I bet I can work with this. So very subtly, Zeech started, like, whispering into Scarbrand's ears and uh, saying, oh, you know, you're so strong. Corn just sits on his throne all day. You could take him. Scarbrand's like, yeah, I could. And, of course, that was a dumb thing to think. And so Scarbrand decided, I'm going to try to take down Corn. Does he challenge Corn to a fair fight? Something the Blood God probably would have been fine with? No. Scarbrand waits until Corn's back is turned and he strikes. He strikes Corn in the back like a coward. And he nicked the God's armor. That's it. And of <laughs> course, Corn turned around and was none too pleased. And he literally grabbed Scarbrand, choked thought and reason out of him left him just this vessel of his pure rage then <laughs> yeeted him across all creation and he has been exiled since then from the realm of chaos from which he has just been on this eternal blood path of just fury and rage i just want to say bing nick armor horn looks at it looks at scarbrand <laughs> like the fact that he went for the back, that's the big problem here. Because, mm-hmm. of course, Cor- Cor- if you're going to challenge Corn, he's going to kick your ass. But, you know, there's respect to be had in a- an honorably challenging an opponent. There is no respect to be had to be to be the right hand of your god who's specifically about strength and fucking striking him in the back. There was there was no forgiveness. And so, yeah, Scarbrand, not exactly a favorite of the, the blood god anymore. Hmm. It's his fault. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So up next we have the heralds of corn. Even among the uh, even amongst the brutal bloodletters of corn's legion, there are those who excel in the art of slaughter, going beyond their peers. These frenzied and unstoppable unstoppable killers have earned special favor in the eyes of the blood god through deeds of unimaginable carnage, known as his heralds. Death follows wherever these champions go. So the the heralds of corn are bloodletters that have basically proven themselves on the field of battle and they excel so well in the act of uh, the act of slaughter that corn has specifically raised them above the rank of bloodletter 
depending on how they achieved this rank, they are given special titles. And, and then they have specific duties based on that. So the ones we have listed. So there are two listed titles and a third special person that we get to talk about. So the first of the heralds are known as Bloodmasters. These are uh, blood letters that have gained notoriety through specifically particular brutality and an act for slaughter. They are not particularly any more intelligent than a blood letter, uh, but Korn has given them an extra like sliver of his rage. They are more fueled and they are more hate-filled and they are more rageful and they live specifically to slaughter. They don't lead... They, they don't lead by, like, virtue of military tactics. They lead through example. When the bloodletters hit the field, the bloodmasters are usually ahead of them, slaughtering and fighting and showing the bloodletters, this is how you do it. The other group are known as the Skullmasters. Uh, these specialize specifically in demonic cavalry. So they are, are basically a bloodletter that has been given a... What was it called? Uh, I forgot. The Blood Crushers, um, which we'll look into a little bit more later. They specifically relish the thunder of hooves and the crunching of bones. And the pairing of a herald and a juggernaut is a powerful force of destruction. You either fall to the blade of the Skullmaster or you fall under the hooves of the juggernaut. Now we have one more herald. All I thought of there for a second is, on the juggernaut, bitch. Pretty much. (laughs) Except honestly, probably a little more scary and not so funny. It's true. <laughs> so there's one more uh, herald that we get to talk about, and that is Skulltaker. There's only one herald that bears the title of Skulltaker. And he is known for that because he alone has collected countless trophies for the Blood God. He is known as Korn's eternal champion. He specifically goes and seeks out only the mightiest of champions. He will stride up to the front of a fortress's gate, knock on the door, and demand single combat with their greatest warriors. Those who accept his challenge are even shown a quick show of respect for taking the field, as he will upturn his blade. But that is only a, a, a moment before uh, Skulltaker lunges forward to attack his quarry. He is a duelist absolutely without equal. He can immediately identify any foe's weakness in a second. Aeons of battling has allowed him to have this precise and exact knowledge of combat with a single foe. However, he does not slay his foes outright. He aims for the limbs and he aims for the eyes, seeking to blind and render them helpless. Because once he has them in this helpless state, he will wrap his hands around them. Eldritch flames peeling the flesh and bone, leaving it bleached and white. A perfect sacrifice for corn. There is... Uh, after which he'll just leave. If you respect him and you battle him, he will leave. He doesn't come to take down your fortresses. Now, he is known to take the battlefield with armies, but nobody really knows... What draws Skulltaker to a battle? Sometimes it might be a specific quarry. Perhaps he just happens to be in the area, but he can't really be controlled. He is a solo unit that will sometimes partake in great battles. It is said that Skulltaker battled Sigmar for three days straight in the world that was. And even though he didn't win, that is a feat amongst itself though it did take him centuries to recover from his injuries. Uh, he takes particular enjoyment 
on exacting vengeance on Sigmar's warriors. So then we get to the blood letters, the sort of bottom rung of demons uh, in Korn's army. Whether through explosions of Korn's fury or brutal design, the shards of Korn's wrathful essence congeal and are given form. These fragments become the blood letters. Whether through explosions of fury or brutal design, shards of Korn's wrathful essence congeal and are given form. These fragments become the blood letters, the lithe and muscular warriors of the blood god's host. They are the most numerous of Korn's demons. And while a single blood letter is deadly, a whole pack is truly terrifying. Indeed, when gathered in significant number, the blood letters fury aroused, further increasing their martial skill. Drawn to battles like scavengers to carrion, they charge towards their enemies with savage ferocity, long tongues flicking in anticipation of the taste of blood. All right, so the blood letters are the sort of bottom rung demon. They are split into packs, uh, and each is led by what is known as a blood reaper. The blood reaper has shown the most martial prowess of the of the group of blood letters. They are either the most kills or the most brutality. However, any blood letter from the pack can rise to the rank of blood reaper simply by outdoing the uh, leader. So if your KDA is better than the leader, guess what? You're leader now. <laughs> hmm. The often take the battlefield beside their mortal allies. Uh, when they take the field with mortals, they also serve the purpose of being the blood god's eyes. So if you're a mortal and there are blood letters around, Make sure you are not showing any cowardice because they will kill you as quickly as they will kill the opponents. Hmm. The blood letter weapons known as Hellblades. These blades hunger for slaughter and are so sharp that even ogre they can sever even an ogre neck in a single swing without slowing. These these blades are created from legend. Nobody knows how they are created. Some say they're formed from the wielder's essence or perhaps that of another angry demon. However, once one takes up a Hellblade, it can never be discarded. So that is the blood letters. And now I want to quickly go over, just going to, going to rapid fire the rest of the demons here. So we have the blood crushers. These are the shock cavalry. They are the union of a blood letter and a juggernaut. Uh, juggernauts are massive beasts that only respond to strength. If a blood letter has shown particular zeal on the battlefield, they will be led deep within the, uh, to which they will be basically leashed into the fields of which the juggernauts are roaming. In order for a blood letter to master a juggernaut, they simply need to show its strength and conquer it. Many try to grab onto the back and are flung off and stamped under hoof, but those who do will form a bond. Uh, those who do manage to break their beast will form a bond with it that is unbreakable. However, uh, juggernauts never truly be broken. They will always have a will of their own. They're not so much red, led into battle as they are pointed in a direction and then they go. The blood letter merely hacking at whatever foes happen to be in the right place at the right time. There is a series of technological things known as the blood uh, demon engines. They are sort of a combination of industry, weapons, and armor. Uh, they are sentient and fueled by hate. The two listed ones are known as skull cannons. They are nightmarish trebuchets that flame cannons into to the opponent and when they hit the opponents are liquefied leaving nothing but the skulls which are then led back into the skull cannon and fired again blood thrones are specific demon engines that are gifted to the favorite of corn they are made from a sliver of corn's own throne and they're basically like a chariot uh, that sort of or sort of like a chariot Kind of looks like a miracle that is just led into battle. The herald that rides upon it is known as a Rendmaster. 
Next up, we have the Flesh Hounds. You've seen a lot of them. They are Korn's Blood Hunters, sent to track those who draw his wrath. Again, if you piss off Korn, he sends dogs after you, his good boys. Mm. A pack of Flesh Hounds is championed by a larger, stronger beast known as a Gorehound. And these Gorehounds can literally cause their opponents to burst into flames when they shout. So that's impressive. And there is one more important named character we're going to talk about right now. And that is Karanak. He is the alpha of all of all of the flesh hounds and is Korn's personal good boy. He is the literal manifestation of the blood god's vengeance. So we have, at this point, if you piss off God, was it the Reaper's Legion, the third rank of bloodthirsters, flesh hounds, and Karanak. And Karanak is the scariest of all of them, bar none. When he's not hunting, he simply lays at the foot of the skull throne and he gets to gnaw on all of the skulls that are not good enough to go on the pile. If you piss off Korn enough, he will send Karanak after you. This alpha, do- this alpha flesh hound has three heads and each head can track you in a different way. There is no escaping once he has your scent. The first head can track you anywhere through space. It does not matter upon which realm you sit, the first head will find you. The second head tracks you through time. It knows where you've been and where you will go. And the third head, perhaps the most terrifying, tracks you in your own mind. There is no <laughs> thought you can have to avoid Karanak. And once, uh, once he has your scent, he will hunt you down through all of the eight realms until your body is laid broken and dead at the feet of the blue god himself. Huh. Oh, yeah. He's a fucking good boy. And that is all of the listed demons in the Codex. Or not maybe not the listed demons, but the listed uh, lore for the demons we have available for us. So Korn's legions are pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Well... Demons are fucking terrifying. The one thing that's more terrifying, I personally think, are the mortals because they have to give themselves into corn. And to that, we turn to Bryce. Bryce, take it away. All right. Yeah. So I will be covering the war hordes of corn, or better known as the mortals of corn. Like the blood legions, the, the bloodbound followers of corn conform to a brutal yet militant organizational structure that is based around the most powerful of their savage kind rising to command. These armies are fierce, unrelenting, and eager for slaughter, and the realms tremble before their onslaught. And when it comes to the worshippers of Korn, like Carlin said, they, uh, they give themselves up. One major aspect about the mortals of Korn and their their mass legions of warriors is none of these guys are together for each other or anything like that. They're all there just to try and please the blood god. Maybe survival at first, but what keeps them there is definitely their kind of constantly giving themselves up to the blood god to try and be stronger and better at what they do. And in these legions, no one is stronger or better than what they do than the lords of corn that command the entire uh, bloodbound war hordes at their disposal. We've been introduced to one of these characters already um, in the Realmgate Wars as Corgus Cull. He's kind of like the badass of all Lord of Corns at the moment. But these guys 
usually heavily armored in Hellforge plate and carry grim banners and just they're all forces of porn basically at least mortal wise will march under these guys the reason why they're able to kind of control all these bloodthirsty mortals is the fact that they can wield savagery and hatred like none other it's described in the book as they wield them like a butcher's cleaver expertly carving through uh, an enemy army although it does also mention that even though that these lords of corn may be mighty even some of the most powerful lords can't even hold their war war bands together for more than a few campaigns before they like fall apart and kind of feast on themselves or get broken up underneath other lords of corn and stuff like that so there's this constant kind of food chain of mortals going through from the lowest to the highest and then you know when they fall another person might ascend from the lowest to the highest Mm -hmm. depending on just how much they want to give to corn when it comes to how these legions are kind of structured it's kind of like um the demon legions that greg was talking about um, when it comes to the mortals, however, it's usually the Lord of Corn and his Gore Chosen. Gore Chosen will be his eight mightiest and most feared champions. And kind of each of these champions is like a very notorious or famed warrior, killer, however you want to put it. And they serve as the Lord of Corn's personal guard, but also his closest and most powerful rivals most of the time as well. You very rarely see a gore chosen not have somebody in it not wanting to kill the Lord of Corn. Yes, I know I use a double negative there. What I'm trying to say is every gore chosen has at least one person in it that wants to kill the dude that's at the top so that they can be the guy at the top. That's how you do it. You just kill the guy at the top, then you're in charge. If it's only below him, you got to kill that guy too. Mm-hmm. So um, underneath the gore chosen... Um, you have even more kind of breakdowns in how they're run. So these are broken down even further, and they usually have their own kind of, they're usually named after their leader or something that kind of, you know, gives credence to what they do. A couple references here are the Skull Hunters, Kalzox Red Blades. So I think it's kind of easy to assume what the Skull Hunters do. And I'm going to assume that Kalzak's dudes have red blades or they're just bloody blades all the time. The, the battle tome gets into a little bit of details on how some of these um, war bands are kind of formed unit-wise. So uh, there's a mention of the Blood Mad, Blood Mad War Band, uh, which is a formation led by an aspiring Deathbringer. Um, and he's followed by blood warriors and uh, skull reapers, and they're all kind of bolstered all together by a blood secretor. Uh, the purpose of these guys is basically to um, get into like the thick of the battle and just basically get as much blood flowing as they possibly can. And the blood secretor is actually able to um open up tears into the realm of corn 
through the amount of blood that they're they're sharing or not sharing uh, spilling. Uh, another formation that they mention are the Gore Pilgrims. Um, these are zealots composed mostly of blood warriors, blood reavers, uh, and they all congregate under blood secretors again, and this time also uh, slaughter priests. Um, these guys are known for basically using the flow of battle and everything like that to counter counteract like enemy wizards and stuff like that because like we were saying earlier corn fucking hates wizard and magic casters (laughs) (laughs) if you pray hard enough and it does something that's fine Mm -hmm. yeah it's fine it's prayer it's not magic Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. the the final one that they Add here are called the Blood Forged, which are uh, we have the Blood Warriors of the Blood Forged that are led by demonically warped Skull Grinders and Wrathmongers, who are essentially just these berserker brutes that wade into combat with these giant wrath flails and just basically grind their enemies under their feet. And then you have the Skull Take Warbands, who are appropriately named for their ability to take skulls which are usually composed of skull reapers and cordoraths um again a newer model added into uh, aos and then finally the last one that they mention in the battle tome uh, doesn't give very much specifics to it other than it's called the dark feast war band who engage in gruesome acts of cannibalism to boost their own powers hmm. so are you saying that if i were to take a bite out greg's face so get more power nah Definitely not my face. That would definitely be a nerf, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I would also say it'd probably end up with uh, the police on location very quickly as well. Don't worry, officers. I was doing it for power. If you're a corn follower, just eat the police officers. <laughs> <laughs> so the next little bit in the battle tome is the Chosen of Corn. The bloodbound are the scourge of civilization. The very sight of an assembled war horde, enough to send pair. Uh, I don't know how to say that word. I'm just going to skip that part. I don't need that shit. (laughs) So the next little bit is about the Chosen of Corn. This part kind of focuses on like the two main war hordes out there and then has a couple references to another smaller ones. Uh, The main two things that Bloodbound war hordes kind of have in common is the fact that they have a very powerful commander who can hold them all kind of in check. And the warriors all have a penchant for bloodletting on a scale that keeps them kind of higher in Korn's favor. If they're losing or if they're kind of picking like shitty fights, Korn's not going to like them as much. One, the first kind of war horde that they mention here is the, the Murder Fist tribe, um, which are known for tearing out the hearts of their foes. And when these warriors, kind of like one of the defining features of these warriors is the fact that their hands are either bare or protected by a black plate, kind of typical to their people. Wait, what? Sorry. That doesn't make any sense. For example, are known for tearing the hearts of their foes. Each warrior's hands, whether bare or protected by the black plate armor, typical of their people, are bright red. How is it black plate armor if it's bright red? It's black plated covered in blood. Plates are black, armor red because of blood. I don't know if it's because of the blood. 
could be because of the blood. Always because of the blood. All right. Okay. Yeah. So um, this is difficult to tell if they're ritual tattoos or whatnot, because usually they're drenched in gore and viscera. But after they mention the, the murder fists, as they're called, the battle tome makes a mention to the two kind of war hordes standing above all others, the Gortide and the Skullfiend tribe. So the Gortide, we've already had a good bit of an introduction to with, with the Realmgate Wars and stuff like that as covering Akshi. Um, so I'll be really short. As we know, the Gortide is a absolutely massive war horde um i believe it is actually considered to be the biggest one and it's described not as an army of you know corn followers but as like just an actual nation nation of corn followers murders however you want to put it like that's just how much that they've literally gone into the scale of a nation like you said, they're led by Torgus Cull, and um, these guys are mostly focused in Akshi. They date back to before, or they date back to during the Age of Myth, and have going, been going pretty strong with a few setbacks for Cull since the Age of Sigmar has started. But he's still around, he's still chopping heads off, still doing stuff for Torn. Still saying uh, Edis or Edis? Yes, yeah. still saying that. <laughs> so the second of these two great tribes is the Stolfine tribe. Um, they're led by Lord Stardrax the Slayer. He's a juggernaut-mounted monster, as the battle tome des- uh, describes, and they believe that the only way to truly honor the blood god is by taking the heads of every foe that they meet the the skull reapers of this tribe have refined the capitation into what is described as a savage art form and their armies are almost always accompanied by packs of cordoraths that basically just follow behind or that basically once they're done with battle they follow behind and consume all the skulls that their tribe mates have you know taken from the shoulders of their enemies (laughs) but the skulls of champions are just like super fierce monsters are absolutely prized by this tribe and are seen as like the most impressive and tributes the the greatest things that they could offer up to corn this tribe believe it or not, originated in the realm of Gur, and they can basically now be found wherever their slaughter path takes them. They're basically just out there looking for heads to chop off. The bigger, the better. So they're just roaming around. Recently, though, apparently they've been uh, pulled into Shyish to help deal with Nagash, so I guess they're going to still be happy because they can still take skulls. They're just a lot less blood like we were mentioning earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as the skulls don't like fall apart to ash. Or, you know, get up again. Yeah. I mean, if you just get them all in a pile real quick and then the bodies don't be able to figure out which heads are which. <laughs> I don't really care. They'll just grab a head. 
Mm -hmm. So uh, after talking about, you know, the couple tribes and war hordes that are under Torn, we did a little bit about the lords of Torn. I talked about them a little bit earlier as well. Um, like I said, they're like the most badass of warriors that Torn has underneath them. They're capable of holding together these massive armies of psychotic murderers. They're literally there to do nothing but spill blood, kill, and eat flesh. So it says really does say something about just how powerful these lords are. I've spoken already about Torgus Kull, so I won't get more into him, but um, the other kind of major Lord of Torn that gets mentioned in the Battle Tome is one called Valkia the Bloody. Mm. Um, she goes by many different names, actually. Um, in Archi, she's known, known as the Door Queen. Uh, in Hayish, known as Lady Wrath, and by the Devoted of Sigmar, the Red Angel of Slaughter. Mm-hmm. basically the legend behind her was that she was once a, a mortal warrior she was a tribal chief that was so dedicated to the blood god that her own barbarism was so much while you know giving her while being dedicated to corn that her tribe that had fought underneath her tried to betray her and basically the entire tribe tried to claim her head for for uh for corn the book describes with the explosive anger of a bloodthirster she impaled hundreds of her own tribe before she was finally uh sorry the book describes that she fought with the explosive anger of a bloodthirster impaling hundreds on her barbs spear slop near I don't know if that's the proper way to say it, but that's an interesting name. Um, before she was finally cut down by her fellow uh, tribe mates. The thing was, was Torn was so impressed by the fact that like she butchered that many people before succumbing to them that he basically just was like, here you go. I'm bringing you back to life. And in doing so, she was reborn as a winged demon queen. So basically, after she was reborn, she immediately went back and butchered the remainder of her original tribe and kind of carved out her own kingdom in Korn's domain in a location called Mount Ashenfell. Basically, she just kind of chills here and, and whenever she wants to, she just draws together her demonic legions and mortal hordes and heads out to basically make battle with ever with whoever she feels like so after that little bit about Valkia I will move on forward a bit more with a breakdown of kind of the door chosen or the so-called lieutenants underneath uh, a lord of corn in his actual warhorde at the top of the door chosen you'll have the exalted deathbringer um who basically doesn't when when it comes to battle he'll be more dedicated to killing his enemies but if he notices that any guy if he notices that any warrior around him is not fighting to his liking liking 
he has absolutely no problem taking that man's head off just to ensure that everybody else is, starts fighting a lot more harder and to his liking. <laughs> These guys have kind of, they've proven themselves that they can, they, they've proven themselves that they're worthy of the title Exalted War or Exalted Deathbringer. And in doing so, they're pretty much always awarded with a weapon or something like that from the Blood God's armory. These Exalted Deathbringers are known, often known as being the Lord of Korn's kind of right hand but also known as being their deadliest rival. Like I said, these guys have proven themselves to Korn, and basically the only reason why they aren't Lords of Korn in their own right is probably because they just haven't killed the guy above them just yet. After them, we have the Bloodstokers, maybe not in kind of like in the hierarchy, but just kind of how the book goes through. Um. I like to consider these guys kind of like the biggest bullies in the army. They're not so much there to fight the enemies as they are to insult and infuriate and stoke the anger of their own guys so that they'll get into the fight and just basically vent all that fury and anger on their enemies instead of the blood stoker. Because the average guy... Yeah, he's getting whipped in the back. He might be angry at the Bloodstoker for it, but he also knows that if he tries to do anything to the Bloodstoker, he's probably going to get his head head torn off with a whip in three seconds. Yeah, it doesn't go well for him. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I do like that the book mentions about these guys are they technically do harvest the most skulls out of any other champion of corn based on the fact that their weapons are considered the might of the Warhorde and not their actual physical weapons. Yeah, so next is the Slaughter Priests. These are basically warrior preachers who are so swollen with the powers of Korin that they're able to not only manifest that in martial strength, but they can also use it to actually control the blood coursing through both enemies and allies alike in the battlefield. Um, this is represented by kind of their songs of ancient battles and bloodlust and just whatever they would sing about to make Corrin happy. This buffs their own warriors and drives them to kind of new heights of bloodlust and savagery. But at the same time, he can also use this power to manipulate the blood of his enemies. And, you know, he can literally boil the blood inside of his enemies, just causing, like, their eyes to burst in fountains of blood and stuff like that. That would be so painful. Oh, yeah. These slaughter priests are known for gaining a lot of this power by just consuming the blood and meat of their of their enemies that have fallen before them. These, these priests though, um, you won't find them, you know, like back buffing their guys. They are usually on the front lines with the rest of the, the warriors reaping their own toll while still, you know, doing what they do best. After them, we have the stall grinders who are kind of, more known as the weaponsmiths of Korn's armies. 
um, the little bit of lore that the book explains about them were basically during the age of chaos, Korn went and gifted a bunch of bronze anvils to several different tribes and stuff like that throughout the realms. And basically these, these anvils were used as altars to sacrifice captives on, to make their weapons, all sorts of stuff. Then, then basically one day a singular warrior would walk into these kind of encampments that had been gifted these anvils and butchered everyone and anyone that got in their way from them making them to these anvils. And basically when they got to them, they took these chains that they had wrapped around these arms and bound them to these anvils. As they, uh, I forgot to mention that as they got closer to these anvils, they started glowing like they are basically being heated at the heart of a furnace. And so when they combined with these, uh, they would then combine with these chains and that was basically the start to these stole grinders or the start of the Lord of these stole grinders who are essentially these dudes that just wait in the battle with massive molten anvils on the ends of chains. And they just crush their enemies and massive sweeps of these things. Following them in the book are the aspiring Deathbringers. So these guys are basically like the lower level versions of the exalted Deathbringers. There's not too much that separate these guys other than experience. The aspiring Deathbringers will be some of the most bloodthirsty warriors in the army that you will find, but that is just because these guys are trying to prove themselves to be that much better than everybody else. They may, most likely, it's just they haven't been around as long as the others, and they need to catch up. They need to do whatever they can to get the exalted Deathbringer status, even if it means taking out the previous exalted Deathbringer and the Gore Chosen. Finally, for the description of Gore Chosen members is the Blood Secretor. Um, so Blood Secretors are basically these warriors that bear these huge stall-wreathed icons of the Blood God in the battle. These guys aren't exactly there as much to kill as they are to be a lodestone for coronate energy in the fight. So basically what they do is they get to the thickest part of the fight and they just plant their standard in the ground and absorb as much, you know, energy as they can from the battle. And they will literally open up a portal to the blood God's realm in the middle of the battlefield. And this will basically drive their bloodbound warriors crazy while also bringing in you know bloodletters and demons stuff like that and also just fizzling out the enemy's magics because of how strongly the realm of blood negates magic yeah we saw that happen in the first realm gate wars book mm-hmm. one thing that i do kind of really like about the blood secretors is the fact though that they do not give a single shit about internal power struggles in the Gore Chosen. So where you have like the aspiring Deathbringers and like slaughter priests and stuff like that vying for more strength in it, they're just happy to be there and chilling. They just want to go to battle, plant their staff and be like, hey, Corrin, look at me. I opened up a portal for you. So I really like that. They're kind of like the chill, laid back dude bros of, uh, 
of the door chosen. Dude, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, they're sounding really awesome in general. Like the, the whole mortal line, whether it's core, Nurgle, whatever. Um, I always find Immortals so engaging. So, mm-hmm. and that continues, of course. With that, I believe that brings us to the end of the mentions of Mortal Warriors and the Battle Tome. Nice. Nice. I love just talking about like the different followers of Korn and kind of what their intentions, what their reasons are for it. Mm-hmm. It's important to note, if you can't aspire to be a demon, you can still stab for Korn. He's totally cool with it. <laughs> just start stabbing your friends in the face. More overkill, the better. Korn's totally on board. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, that uh, think, take, wraps us up with the battle tome. So all I got to say is, or ask, what have you guys been hopping lately? Greg, how about you go first? All right, I'll start. So let's see. Um, I didn't do. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do a lot of Warhammer this week. I think I showed some pictures on the Facebook of the kit-bashed corn berserkers that I managed to get done. Uh, I did a bunch of D&D mini painting this week. And update on the crisis suits. They're as unpainted as they were in the last video, um, <laughs> just so people know. I do have a funny story. It's going to sound a little unrelated, but trust me, it does pay out. So uh, me and uh, Bryce has been getting me into Destiny 2. And um, uh, obviously, like the most, uh, the highest ranked equipment you can get is called exotics. And I got an exotic vehicle. And guess what the first exotic vehicle I got was? The fucking Ratmobile. It's got rats all over it. And I'm like, of course, I would get this. Of course. Yeah, I was like, basically, I was just sitting there. He's like, I got the other side. And I was like, what? He's like, it's got rats on it. I was like, how do you get the one with the rats on it before anything else? Yeah. Anything else. <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty fucking great. That's awesome. Uh, Bryce, what have you been hobbying lately? Yeah. Well, uh, like I, I think I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, uh, but I picked up some Space Marines earlier, so I've been putting them together and um, getting some primer on them to start painting them up. But I've also got a little bit more painting on my Stormcast in. Not too, too much, but I managed to slap a little bit more paint on some models. So I'm feeling good about that. Nice. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, as for me, I haven't really done... Well, no, I've done a lot of little things. Like I've been working a whole bunch of models at once. I've uh, been working on Gaz's base. Uh, been working on Gaz's base. Uh, need to paint the uh, shotgun bullet shells on his base. And... Yeah, I've been also planning out in my head kind of like a Stormcast Warband for Warcry. So that's been kind of fun. Nice. Thinking about making my own uh, chamber, uh, the Lupus Chamber, or Chamber of the Wolf. So they're going to be a bunch of furries. No, they're going to have wolf pauldrons. And instead of having the uh, uh, chicken bird dog things, I'll just use the actual wolves from Space Wolves. (laughs) <laughs> oh god i guess i guess i gotta out myself because i was trying to keep it a secret till they're done but i was also making a war cry of uh fucking uh stormcast myself i see how it is i see how it is we start reading the realm gate wars and everybody wants to start playing stormcast i'll say i'll send some pictures I've, i picked up a really good price i picked up uh a bunch of the guys with the hammer and castigators just because i like them and i've been painting them red and black nice well, I'll send some me, pictures to you after so you can take a look and we'll post them on the Facebook at some point. Yeah. And like for me, this is not a promotion by any stretch, but 
from my favorite bit seller, Spellcrow. Uh, they always give a whole bunch of free bits. And last time I ordered from them, they included this wolf, pul- wolf pauldron. And first thing I thought of, it's like, oh, that would look really cool on a Stormcast hero. And that got my imagination going. And then got the uh, order battle tome for Warcry. And I was taking a look. I'm like, you know what? That would be kind of fun. Just a small warband of them with all these wolfy uh, pauldrons and these cool heads rather than all being helmeted. Because unlike Bryce, I like my things well helmets. And yeah. I mean, if you want to be a masochist and paint faces, go ahead. I'm just like, if I can use one one color and a wash to paint my face, I'll do it. Yeah, I have no problem painting faces, so not an issue. But I guess I am a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, haven't done too, too much. Just yay, life as a student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of school work. But I've been uh, revamping my hobby area. I've got... Like, I moved everything to droppers. Now I have a wall-hung uh, unit that I can put all my dropper paints into. I've got, like, a little storage uh, bin that I can put all my paint rushes and everything in. Or not bin, but kind of a little cool wood thing. But yeah, just kind of revamping the hobby area to make my hobby life easier in the long run. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically me. Um, yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? No, I think I'm good. Uh, we um, haven't done... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, it may not be AOS, but I was just kind of scrolling while we were doing our outro here. Um, and I saw an ad for the new Necromunda game that's coming out, Hired Gun. If you haven't seen the trailer for that, check it out, because it actually looks like a pretty decent game that's going to be coming out soon. Fingers crossed. Okay. Well, hey, uh, it's been great chatting with you guys. It's been uh, fun to chat, Corn. And I, I know I've shared it with you guys, but I kind of feel like sharing it again. Corn has freaked out my boss. I've discovered he listens to my podcast by when I walked in the office, he flipped around on his chair and looked at me. He's like, Corn is the freakiest deity I've ever heard of. <laughs> Based on our first Ralph Gate episode. I'm sure this hasn't made his opinion any better. No, when he listens to this, yeah. Well, yeah. wait until we get the Slanesh. We might have to age restrict Ooh, yes. that episode. Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> and I'm excited for, you know, when we cover some future stuff like Spite, because I love the horror stuff, but I know, Bryce, that might get to you a bit. Yeah, it's fine. Sure, <laughs> they beat Stormcast up a little bit, but it's fine. Oh, Gloomspite, there is no Stormcast. Oh? Nope. Okay. Well, so we'll you get see. to see what happens to the poor, innocent people of the realms. I mean, it can't be worse than what's happening on, you know, over on that corner compared to that corner. <laughs> it gets pretty gnarly. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm looking forward to it. I've uh, I've heard good things about that uh, that book. It's great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to Realm Walkers. Please follow us on Facebook. That's where we're trying to, you know, chat with you about hobby and lore stuff. We want to see your awesome painted models and the different things you're working on. Also, you know, try to reach out to us via email or through our messenger service through our Facebook account. Uh, We want to be able to hear feedback, know what we're doing well, what we need to work on. Yeah, just we want to be able to engage you because we want to get better and better. And the only way we can do that is by going with you. Also, mm-hmm. I want to give a special shout out to Ireland. I did this on our Facebook account array, but Ireland has been consistently one of the countries with the highest downloads for us next to Canada and the States. Uh, sometimes it's the most, sometimes second place. 
Ireland, I, I don't know what we're doing to impress you, but thank you. Um, we love you. We'd love to know who you are. Please uh, comment and such. Uh, I have a little post on Facebook. Just comment there. What, love what are our numbers? Media. What are our numbers from Sweden still? Is it still that one guy? Sweden, yeah. I believe we still have just three downloads there last I looked. Shout out to our Sweden followers. Yeah, he's our number one Swedish fan. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for everything. And we hope to hear you or hope to enjoy chatting with you next time when we actually get into the second book of the Rumgate Wars. Yes. 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 All right. Talk, Talk to you later. later. Bye. Have a good one.